I'm Jim Salverson and welcome to VoiceWorks Sound Business, a podcast all about audio, radio, podcasting and the people who make it. The conversation on today's podcast covers an essential skill, whether you're looking to forge a career in radio or launch your own podcast or anything in between. It's all about the art of the interview. To share his knowledge on the topic and some practical hints and tips on interviewing is Paul Chandler. Currently, Paul is a media consultant and director of Fix Radio, Podcast Radio and Arena Radio. But his career spans a whole range of roles, including broadcast journalism, program management and international media development. During his time in the industry, he's worked at most of the major UK radio groups and helped shape the content of many major radio brands, including Ireland's speech station News Talk and a spell as programme director of TalkSport. As if that wasn't going to keep him busy enough, he's also the author, along with Peter Stewart, of the book Essential Radio Journalism, How to Produce and Present Radio News. In other words, very well qualified to contribute to today's podcast, The Art of the Interview with Paul Chandler. Welcome to the Sound Business Podcast. How are you and where are you? Well, I'm very happy to be here and very happy to take part. And I'm on the south coast at the moment near Brighton and it's quite rainy and it's uh, pretty cold, but I'm keeping warm in my little office here and it's heartwarming to talk to you. Good to see. (laughs) Are we going to get kind of this soft tone of seagulls in the background at some point? Because I love that when you just hear a little seagull in the background. Yeah, I wish I did a um, a podcast recently, uh, or I commissioned a podcast from one of my friends who uh, is in the Seychelles, and he recorded a, a, an original mystery series that we're playing on podcast radio at the moment, and he recorded it on the beach. Oh. And of course, you had the sound of the waves and the sound of the sea, or the seagulls or the birds in the background, and it was incredibly atmospheric. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those little decisions he took to record it on the beach instead of in his house, and it worked a treat. Fantastic. No need for Foley on that one at all. No. (laughs) Well, you're here today, Paul, to talk to us about the art of the interview. And I guess my first question around that is, is it possible to teach someone how to conduct a good interview? Or is it something that you either have or you don't have as a presenter or a host or a journalist? Oh, I certainly think there's a natural instinct for doing it. But that's not to say that techniques can't be taught and tips can't be taught. I often think that interviews on radio or on podcasts carry much more impact than those in print Mm. uh, in newspapers and magazines because the listener can actually get more information from an audio interview from how a question is answered as much as from the actual words spoken for example if the interviewee hesitates before answering the pause may tell the listener at least as much as the words which eventually follow so i think audio radio interviews are very very powerful 100% agree with that. The power of silence in audio is so important. Absolutely. We'll probably talk about that in a little bit when we get on to post-production of interviews as well. But in terms of before you even get anywhere near a microphone, the work starts then when you're about to conduct an interview. In terms of preparation, what are the most important things to consider before you get to that point? Well, I think first of all, you've got to decide what kind of interview you're doing. And I think there are three main sorts of interview. The first is what I would call an informational interview, which is primarily to reveal facts or opinions. And that's when these key words, who, what, where, why, when and how need to be to the fore. 
because those are open questions. In other words, people can answer mm. them, have to answer them with more than just yes or no. Questions which begin, is it or do you or can you, just can elicit yes or no answers. So I think you need to think about that. I think the other two interviews that you could have are interpretive interviews, which is different from the informational one, because the subject of the interview needs to interpret some facts which are already known. You know, the fact is that interest rates are rising again. The financial expert can be asked what effect this will have on mortgage rates. So that's an interpretive interview. And then finally, the third one is emotional interviews, which I think are by far the most tricky type. You know, there's the happiness of the sporting record breaker, the anxiety of a mum whose child is missing, the anger of someone who's been attacked and robbed. In an, robbed in, mm. in an emotional interview, a certain amount of silence, you mentioned that just now, is more telling than any words as the subject really pauses to, to gather his or her thoughts, perhaps in the midst of some kind of mental turmoil. So the emotional interviews are, are important. But I think the most common ones that most people will use are the first two, which are informational and interpretive. In terms of some of the detailed preparation, you need to know something about the subject in advance. Mm. Uh, that's not to say that you need to be an expert yourself, but it, you have to have a few minutes to sit down and do your homework and read about the subject that you're going to be talking about or the person you're going to be reading about. And I think that's where you start. And, and then I think there's a whole load of stuff which flows from that. I mean, in terms of a news interview, this probably isn't as relevant in terms of a question. It's probably more relevant to those kind of celebrity style interviews. But how important is originality to you in terms of the questions that you're asking, that you're finding out things that haven't been found out before, that you're asking different questions? Is that an important part of your preparation, working out what might have been, what paths might have been trodden previously? Well, I think it's always nice if you're a journalist to get a scoop. Mm. And so it's, uh, it's, it's wonderful to be able to ask something or find out something from an interviewee that hasn't been found out before. But I think that's reasonably rare. I think you're usually going to be interviewing someone who's been interviewed before and has been on a well-trodden path, especially, as you say, in relation to celebrities. And so what you have to bear in mind is that your audience may not have heard them before, and so therefore you need to ask some of the some of the obvious questions before you try to tr get something original out of them because your audience may not have heard them before and so I, I think whilst there's always a pressure on you to get something a scoop or some kind of originality I think you need to go through the basics and make sure people understand the solid things that you, that you want to establish before going into the original stuff. How do you strike a balance between having your plan, having your questions, working through what you see as a structure and listening, reacting, having that kind of free-flowing conversational element to what you're doing? Yeah, I, I think that's a very difficult question because it, it is always a, in my mind at least, and, and through my career, it's always been a question of how much you do an interview by simply asking straightforward who what why when how questions like a news interview an mm. informational interview and this other extreme which is just having a conversation and a chat with someone 
And I guess it really comes down to the context of where you're talking to them in, in you know, the, what kind of platform you're using and what the expectations of the audience are. The truth is that you need to combine the two, especially if it's for a podcast or something where you have a guest and you want to make it quite conversational. You do have to ask the who, why, when, where, what, and so on, but you have to disguise it in much more of a, a conversational way. And I think that's quite a tricky thing to do, actually. Mm. Um, and I think there are various people who make it very, look very easily. For example, James O'Brien, when he does his uh, his podcast series, which is very popular, is a, is a masterful interviewer. But he has a long time to do those interviews. There's, there's no time pressure for him. And, and he wants to try and get his guest to be a lot more relaxed and a lot more open about something that they might not say in a, in the context of a sort of a five-minute studio interview. And so he will ask the who, what, why, when, where in a slightly different way and a slightly more conversational manner than, than someone else being interviewing them. But it is a difficult balance to strike. And um, I think it just comes from, A, considering the context of, of, of everything, and B, just that your experience in, in doing interviews. And it's something that will come to you over time, the correct balance. I think you're 100% right with James O'Brien. He's a master at doing these things. And I think one of the skills he has that a lot of the best interviewers have is being able to spot an open door, be able to listen for those opportunities and take them when they come, even if it means going off piece and abandoning the plan. How do you spot those openings? Is there a trick? Is there a skill? Or is it just, as you say, a case of practicing and rehearsing and doing more? Oh, I think the key skill in any interview, and it sounds obvious, but you have to listen to the answers. You know, I think so many It does many seem obvious, but everyone forgets it, don't they? I mean, in the early days, there's so many interviews you hear where no one is listening. <laughs> And, and, you know, it's another good argument against prearranged questions. Of course, you need to have a, a list of your questions or a list of the subject areas you want to cover. But you have to listen to what your subject is saying. You know, a subject could say, I often use this as an example, uh, the subject might say, so a man of my height, just over six foot six, that's our real problem, finding clothes that fit. And then the reporter who hasn't been listening says, so how tall are you then? <laughs> So, you know, it, it's really, you mustn't slavishly follow your list of questions or areas. You have to listen to the replies. And I think coming back to your previous question, that's where the element of conversation is allowed to grow. And I think that's how you can make an interview much more of a conversation or a chat by listening to the answers and picking up questions that arise naturally from those answers. Whilst at the same time, sticking to your plan and maybe asking, you know, prearranged questions which you've scripted beforehand. I think the best interviewers combine both techniques. Mm. I guess feeding into that a little bit is the debate around how much personality an interviewer should put into an interview, how much it should impact the course of the conversation. And if you think about the big, certainly celebrity interviewers like Graham Norton, Jonathan Ross, I think James O'Brien does this to a certain extent as well. There's definitely an element of his personality in the work that he does, particularly when he's doing the podcast work rather than the, the LBC more news focused stuff. I mean, what is the balance? Is there a rule behind it or does it literally come down to the medium you're broadcasting on and the audience you're broadcasting to? Yeah, I think I think it's the latter. I think it's very much if you have a show like Graham's, which is an entertainment show with celebrity guests, you know, it's pretty clear that he he needs to answer questions in a certain way 
can have much more of a conversational to and fro where he is much more a part of the interviewer than in the interview rather than just being the interviewer. And uh, Jonathan Ross is the same. Uh, James, you're right, I think goes into, into some, but looking in another LBC star, Ian Dale, Ian Dale is a brilliant interviewer as well, particularly with politicians. And he, he almost lulls his interviewees into a sense of security by, by sort of getting them to relax and asking some really conversational chatty questions and then boom he goes in there with something which is quite hard hitting and changes tack a bit and uh, I, I respect that approach I think it's very good I, at the end of the day there's no one correct way of doing interviews I think it all depends on the context the show the station the podcast the kind of interview that you want to achieve and you match your toolbox of interview techniques to whatever that situation is. You mentioned the hard questions there, the tricky questions that often we hear in news interviews that maybe a subject doesn't want to answer. Is there a strategy for negotiating those scenarios where maybe you've not had the answer you want or there's been a deflection of that answer, but you really need to press for a particular response? Is there an art to do that? Is it a set of skills or the tips that you can use to kind of get the right results there? Well, I always say when it comes to tough questions and a particular thing that you want to get out of an interviewee, always leave the tough question to the end. (laughs) (laughs) Don't put it up first or leave it to last because that means that the interview, you might not get as as long an interview as you want nor the right answers. So I would put a tough question in as your third or fourth question. By then, the interviewee may have relaxed, let down their guard, and uh, there's still time for a follow-up if the answer is interesting. Um, The other thing is, if an interviewee responds to a question with another question, never answer it. Press for a proper answer. You hear a lot of that on the Today Show with Michelle Hussain and, and Justin and Nick and Amal. You know, sometimes interviewees, especially politicians, like to ask the questioner some kind of question as well to make a point but they never they never engage nor should they really if the question given in reply is rhetorical well it may just be better for the listener to hear this while you move on to another question and they do that all the time on the on the today show on radio 4 would you use a similar pr- approach with something like a media day which is something that anyone who works in broadcasting is familiar with media days yes. as a personality he's been booked or she's been booked to do a round of interviews across an entire day you have a 10 minute slot maybe 15 minutes if you're lucky to get all the content you need and there's two needs that need to be filled there one is you need to do the stuff that the guy's there to do for his media day it's promoting a book or a tv show or a album or whatever it is but then the second half of that is you want the stuff that you want to get the interesting questions the the dirt the gossip or whatever it is is that a similar approach you get the the softer stuff out the way before you then move into the more juicier content yes get the pluggy stuff out the way first and then then you can move into something that you can relax into and ask more interesting questions i always remember the the case of at the time, he was really young, Chris from Scott Mills's show on Radio One. When he, uh, who's now with Capital, when he was with Radio One and Scott, he had just started. He was quite naive about the way that these things work, and given an opportunity to interview the American actress Mila Kunis, mm. and and he obviously really fancied her, and the whole fifteen minutes turned into him in a rather 
cute way chatting her up and it she saw through it he he sort of played up to it and it was so good it was a real viral hit on youtube we're talking about sort of i don't know six or seven years ago now but it was it was great because he he got taken over by his own fanboy feeling Mm. and uh that was very revelatory and it was a really good interview as a result of that but obviously I, i i think it goes it stands to reason do the plug stuff first talk about the book talk about the movie talk about the show and then move on to stuff that you might where you might get and we talked about this a few moments ago where you might get a more original response in terms of that Chris Stark story that you told there, I guess that comes down to the attention you pay in post-production. And we mentioned silence, the importance of silence in an interview and whether you edit and take out. But when the stop button's hit, that's not it. It's not over at that point. Once you get into the editing process, once you kind of know the narrative that you want to create, once you know the story that you've captured, what tips are there between translating the content you've made into something that is there for the audience? Well, uh, referring back to the previous uh, question we just talked about, I think all the juicy stuff needs to come out at the top of the edit. <laughs> so you actually reverse the uh, the process during the edit and uh, you put any of the the interesting, possibly original stuff right at the start and then you put the pluggy stuff at the end. So that's what, what I'd always do. That's, uh, of course, assuming that it's pre-recorded. Sometimes you're mm. in a situation, as I've been in many times, where you do a live interview and you can't do that. But I, I do think that when you have the opportunity, you need to lead with the best stuff. So I'd always advise that. And also, don't feel obliged to include the questions all the time. You know, there's often sometimes a case where you can edit, as long as it keeps the sense of what the interviewee is saying where you can edit two answers together and, and make a, a better job of it and put it over, put the whole uh, sense of what the interviewee is trying to say over in one question without any, any question in between. Don't feel you have to be the star of the interview interview all the time. Now, Paul, over the last two years, we've seen a huge shift caused by the pandemic in terms of broadcasting. And as we are doing now, a lot of interviews now are conducted remotely that previously wouldn't have even been an option, partly because of access, I think, and access to guests and names and celebrities, politicians who may have been deemed unobtainable previously. Does this change any of the rules around interviewing? And does the interviewer now need to pay any extra consideration to certain aspects while they're conducting their content gathering? I think it does, because in the past, when you've been doing interviews face-to-face, as most of us have up until the pandemic, I think there's always been very much body language, Mm. which has helped bring out the best of an interviewee, you know, encouraging your subject with eye contact, nodding rather than saying yes or I see or anything while they're giving their answer. And ostensibly, we don't have that now. I always think it's best to conduct interviews online via zoom or teams or whatever with the video intact so that there is some kind of eye contact between the interviewer and the interviewee and it's not always possible and i understand that but i think it does help a little to use all of the old techniques that used to be in place before the pandemic in in the context of uh, post-pandemic and that includes the, the the nodding and all of that kind of thing. And you can also see 
the way that an interviewee is 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 reacting to your questions you know are they crossing their arms which which is obviously a defensive sign are they sort of fiddling somewhere else are they is is their eye contact not on the screen i think it uh, are they checking their phone or something i think it all helps in the way that an interview is conducted. And, you know, you, you look at uh, the way we mentioned LBC before now, but LBC, especially when they do political interviews, they do them from Westminster, the studio in Westminster and Millbank. And, um, you know, even if, if a politician isn't, isn't, isn't there, they will put them on screen. Now, partly that's because they want to produce video content, which is always great. But I think also it helps to have someone in front of you, even if they're on the other end of a, a video camera, so that you can actually see the way in which they are answering your questions in terms of body language and that's always very useful as a piece of information just listening to someone down the line of course it's been done forever and a day you know when i was working on bbc local radio we used to do loads of down the line interviews and but i always found it was far better to do them face to face and i think you get more out of them and this is a way where you can compromise on that mm. now by just having the video switched on I often say one of the best ways to learn any aspect of broadcasting is to consume and analyse. If someone was going to go away and study the greats in terms of interviewers, and you might give different people for different formats here, I guess, but who should they be looking to study? Who's top of the class in your view as an interviewer? Well, I think we've mentioned some of them already. I think Graham Norton is brilliant at the showbiz interview because he's part of it and, and he's, he's almost talking to them on, on the same level. Mm. On podcast radio, we ran a series, um, or we're still running a series, actually, from the Hollywood actor Alan Alder. And Alan Alder was a big star in the 70s and 80s of the TV series MASH, and he's appeared in the West Wing and stuff like that. But he's a fantastic interviewer. He does this hour-long series of interviews where he, he really talks to people. And uh, one that we still play on podcast radio is Paul McCartney. He interviewed Paul McCartney for an hour. And the, he approached the interview. They were equals, really, because they're both... Obviously, Alan Alder isn't quite as famous as Paul McCartney, but, he, Who but is? he's a Hollywood name. <laughs> <laughs> who is but the way that they talked with each other was very much a conversation and yet alan was able to do the who what when where how and it really brought paul mccartney out of himself in a way that i haven't heard before and he was you know demonstrating on a piano how he wrote hey jude or, or something like that michelle or something like that and he was playing it and alan was was so i think that's another one so graham norton alan alder are the ones i admire in terms of more newsy content um I love David Dimbleby's interviews. I think he's a brilliant uh, broadcaster. I do like James O'Brien. I'm I'm not a fan of his uh, his phoned show on LBC because he blocked me on Twitter, which is another story <laughs> altogether. So uh, uh, I won't bore you with that. But uh, I I think he's an extremely talented broadcaster, even though I don't particularly agree with his views. Very very talented man and i think his interviewees on his full disclosure podcast are fantastic they really are and they're they're a wide range of subjects as well but my favorite interviewer of all time though is jenny murray who used to present woman's hour on radio four and she presented for many many years and her interviews were absolutely textbook and exemplary in the sense that Everyone who went into that studio, whether they were an unknown person or a celebrity or a politician or whatever, got asked those very clean who, what, when, where, how type questions, open questions. 
And she obviously prepared really carefully for the interview, and she had all the information, and she knew what she was talking about. But the way she asked those questions and brought people out of themselves in a very newsy way, live live radio usually, two o'clock, so you're talking a four to eight minute interview, and she was the person who managed to do that, in my opinion, above anyone else and it's a shame that we don't hear more of her on the radio some further listening to be done then if you want to do more research into the art of the interview before i let you go paul i think i know what you're probably going to say because i think you might have mentioned it a couple of times already but if you had one golden rule for someone to take away in terms of getting better at conducting interviews what would that be well, let me give you some advice that you shouldn't take, first of all, which is, uh, which is when you uh, do your mic check beforehand and, and, and get level and stuff like that, don't make the mistake that I always used to make and I always used to ask a politician or anyone, really. I used to say, what did you have for breakfast, you know, in order to get people talking and relaxed and stuff like that. And uh, I once had to interview when I was a very, very young reporter Dennis Healy, who was the was a, a Labour Party politician in the 70s and 80s, and he was a, a cabinet minister, chancellor of the Exchequer. I was sent to interview him, and he was a very gruff guy, but he did have a good sense of humour. And, uh, of course, I was setting up my recorder, and I, I sort of said, uh, well, Mr. Healy, uh, can you tell me, first of all, what you had for breakfast? And he said, an interviewer. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> I, I would advise not asking questions like that. By the way, when you start an interview, just ask people who they are and what their job title is. It's always useful to have that. Uh, what would I say is the the main advice? I, I, I think prepare. I think ask short questions. Don't ramble. Use the who, why, what, when, where. You can't really go wrong with those. Your last questions, plural, should be the most controversial. And I think Listen to the answers. I think that's the biggest, biggest piece of advice I can give because so many people don't. And I think listen, they, they so slavishly follow their list of the questions that the answers go a little bit forgotten. So listen to the answers and don't be frightened to take an interview off into a different direction if an interviewee says something which is unexpected or interesting. Go with that if you can. You, you never know what it might lead to. So my Number one piece of advice is listen to the answers. Paul, thanks a lot for your time. Fascinated to talk to you. All the links to Paul's projects can be found in the podcast description, including a link to the book that he wrote with Peter Stewart, Essential Radio Journalism, How to Produce and Present Radio News, which, if news is your thing, is definitely worth a read. But, Paul, thanks for your time on VoiceWorks Sound Business. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of VoiceWorks Sound Business. If it's your first one, don't forget to check the back catalogue. Loads of interesting topics and practical advice on many different aspects of audio, radio, podcasting, whatever it is that floats your boat. So do have a look and see what you've missed. And don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss what's coming in the future. And as always, if you'd like to talk to VoiceWorks about your audio strategy, head to the website, voiceworks.ai. <laughs>